Thanks for joining us on the Week in Review. I'm Amanda Vinicky. Paris Schatz has the night off. On the show tonight. Andres was one of the bravest and most selfless individuals I have ever known. Chicago police officer Andres Mauricio Vasquez Lasso, who was killed answering a domestic disturbance call, is laid to rest with full honors. I've really focused on running an issue-oriented campaign, and I think that's why I've had success so far. The reason why people are excited about our campaign is because we're telling people the truth. Sparks fly at the first two mayoral runoff debates as Paul Vallis tries to downplay Facebook likes that called Chicago a hellhole, and the CTU ups fees to support Brandon Johnson. Alder people put the brakes on a Taste of Chicago move to outside Navy Pier, blaming Mayor Lightfoot's NASCAR street race deal for Grant Park's scheduling snafu. And will the state of Illinois get a new state flag? And now to our Week in Review panel. Joining us are Sandra Torres of NBC5 Chicago and Telemundo Chicago, Alice Ian of the Chicago Tribune, Melody Mercado of Block Club Chicago, and Matt McGill of WVON. Thanks to each of you for joining us. And let's start with some um, really a heartbreaking scene, and that is the funeral of Officer Vasquez Lasso. Sandra, what, what can you tell us about it? And this has some significance because you are from the same town in Colombia as the officer was. Correct. So I was born and raised in Cali, Colombia, and that is the town that Officer Andres Mauricio Vasquez Lasso is from. And it was very moving to see the funeral service yesterday and to watch it unfold, to see the amount of tributes to his Colombian roots. I thought that was very well done. And it just said so much about him. You know, whenever an officer dies, you get to know a little bit more about his personal life, about his family. And we really learned so much about his past and when he got to the United States about 13 years ago as an 18-year-old, now a 32-year-old officer for the Chicago Police Department, shot and killed here in the streets of Chicago. So awful. And you said even relatives in Colombia were, were tuned in to this. Yes. And, and that's it, the thing is that people wanted to watch. They wanted to know, how is this possible? It's so conflicting to see somebody left Colombia for a better life. And here they are in Chicago and they lose it doing something that they loved. You know, Melody, TV stations in town did carry the entire service and it was somewhat lengthy and a lot of it was in Spanish. Nobody broke away. Is there any significance there, particularly as we have both race and policing so fraught and so front and center in the news? Yes, I mean, I, I think that the point of either feeling conflicting, like Sandra was saying, people from home watching but couldn't turn away. And then again, people here in Chicago, again, it was such a sad story um, watching it. And, and like Sandra said, just people just couldn't turn away because of that. Now, Matt, this was the first time we have heard publicly from Superintendent David Brown since he announced that he will be leaving his position, going to a private firm in Texas. Did he hit the right notes there? Obviously, this is a speech for a funeral. This isn't any sort of message to Chicago. Or was it? You know, any note that David Brown hit has got to be good because he's been probably the most quiet superintendent we've had, right? Eddie Johnson was always available to the media, very vocal. Gary McCarthy, of course. So people are just curious to hear him speak anyway. And usually when you make it to the rank of being a superintendent, you know what to say in situations like this. And uh, all the attention, of course, on him is that 
he is exiting and uh, what next for the department. So Ellis, what of that? What is next for the department? Is it just in a holding pattern until April 4th results come out? We had, uh, I think Brown missed his last CPD graduation ceremony. We'll talk more about scheduling Safu's later, but there was one there that caused him to miss it. Um, is he just done? Um, yeah, I believe he um, had a job lined up in Texas. Um, he announced it the day um, his resignation was announced. Um, and I think, you know, what's clear is that um, no matter who wins the mayoral race, there's going to be a, pretty, a very new direction for Chicago Police Department. We don't know what direction will be, but um, both candidates have said they do want someone from within the department within Chicago. A matter of who wants yeah. that job. And what, and what they do, they, they pick three, right? And then the mayor picks one out of the three. So there's a commission that's going to come up with three candidates, and then the mayor selects one from that. Now, Ellis, you, let's move to the mayoral race and the debates this week. We had the first since the, we had the runoff. Um, this is your specialty. You, you wrote about how race is being injected into this election. How so? Yeah, um, um, it, it's definitely been very um, evident throughout, even before the uh, runoff season started, that, you know, Paul Vallis being the only white candidate, that is something that the other candidates have, you know, tried to use um, in their messaging. And um, his past associations with uh, groups that, you know, are more conservative um, from even um, the right wing. And uh, just trying to use that in um, messaging in appealing to different parts of the city. Um, and that was definitely a tack that Brandon Johnson um, used a lot this uh, week when trying to portray Paul Vallis as someone who doesn't have the interests of people of color in Chicago. And yet we have Jesse White, the most popular Illinois office holder, endorsing Vallis. Of course, he's going to head-to-head -head and lots of endorsements this week. You have Elizabeth Warren coming out now for Brandon Johnson. So, uh, Sandra, is there are, are any of these endorsements going to make a difference, particularly as we're talking about the black vote, which mostly, at least in the earlier election, had gone to Lori Lightfoot. Um, it, what does that mean? for? Does Jesse White mean anything for Vallis? I think they do play a role. And we're talking about candidates that are now looking for nearly 50% of the candidates uh, who voted for others. So they're certainly trying to win those votes. Uh, we're talking about Chuy Garcia winning the majority of the Latino awards. Um, they need to get to those awards as well. It's not just um, the South and the North. I mean, there is so much at play here and when it comes to what's at stake they need to play every single way possible and no inkling yet of who chewy garcia is going Not to yet. endorse although stacy davis gates of the ctu has said she believes that he will get behind johnson matt is that a crucial one you know it's hard to imagine he would go toward vallis right when you think about it brandon johnson and chewy garcia would really play into the same crowd and even if you interview people who have voted for chewy where are they going to go? It's a million-dollar question. And, again, it gets back to the endorsement game. And deals are made when endorsements are on the table. And uh, we'll see a lot of action. But I'm with Stacy. I think he's going toward Brandon. So, Melody, uh, yes, some nearly 50% of the Chicago voters are up for grabs. Are the candidates making progress in winning over these either undecided or folks who had gone with another candidate previously? I think we are seeing them playing playing the game right now for sure. I, I will use the sort of the downtown neighborhoods that I specifically cover, which were primarily going towards Vallis, but we've seen um, Alder, Alderman Burnett of the 27th Ward endorsed Vallis 
um, not long after his mentor, Jesse White. And so we're seeing that he's trying to um, sort of get all the voters that were behind Lightfoot, which he originally did endorse her for re-election, try to shift them more towards, uh, towards Vallis there. And, uh, of course, again, we have these debates, and who have they gotten, Alice? I, I mean, uh, lots of punches being thrown, particularly verbal ones anyway, of course, um, particularly by Johnson. Any thoughts on his going on the attack? It seems like Vallis is, is less so. Is there strategy there? Yeah, I think it's definitely um, a timeless strategy, if you will. Um, it was clear from um, election night that Vallis came in first, and uh, up until few days ago, um, polling showed that he was still leading uh, the polls. And traditional wisdom says that if you're the front runner, you should probably play it safe, not really go on the offense. And if you're coming um, in second, you should probably uh, try to um, whittle down your opponent a bit. But um, it gets tricky. We saw before the runoff, uh, you know, Chuy Garcia was seen as a front runner, and he took a lot of hits from Lori Lightfoot, um, who spent two months trying to basically insinuate that he was a crook and he didn't fight back. So that, I think that kind of hurt him in the end. Well, speaking of those uh, attacks, one that is part of what Johnson is calling against Vallis is uh, his Facebook account has liked a lot of posts, including one that called Chicago a hellhole. Now, Matt, the Vallis campaign says that it wasn't Paul Vallis individually. It was perhaps somebody from the campaign. Do you buy that explanation? And does it matter? Question, does it matter? But I tell you what, man, this is scary when you think about opposition research now. Let's go through all of your likes on social media, and I think we all would be scared about that, right? That's what they do for job interviews now, right? <laughs> so in politics, though, that's the name of the game, right? Just find anything you can. Um, you know, Will it hurt him? I don't know if it were. I think people are locked in. If you're a Vallis person, you're a Vallis person. If you're a Johnson person, you're a Johnson person. Will but there's it that 45%. That undecided group. Yeah. That's the big question, and I'm not sure. Alice, that was your story. What are the major takeaways that folks need to know? Yeah, um, I think the way we approached both the Twitter and Facebook story is we were kind of looking at, you know, a pattern um, where it wasn't just one errant like or one um, post that maybe was a little off, but um, just multiple years of consistent um, likes and some posts and across multiple accounts that, you know, um, you could l look at his campaign response and say, okay, that means that um, there might be some judgment issues with who he lets access um, his campaign, or if you don't believe that, you could um, interpret that the other way. Now, uh, we talked briefly about endorsements, and another person who has backed Vallis, but this is something that is, be, is serving as an attack by Johnson, is Ken Griffin wants him to be the next mayor. He hasn't come forward with any cash, though, so do we think that the billionaire is going to put his money where his mouth is? Sandra, what do you think there, and do folks know or care about Ken Griffin now that he's a Florida resident? Well, I think that they will care, um, especially what we've seen with how people have been voting. And in this particular election, I think people were leaning towards their particular beliefs. You know, they're very conservative. They did tend to go towards Vallis. We saw that, especially in the polls. Um, so I think that it, it is going to be a major decision for him. The thing about Vallis that stands out is that's something that Marianne Ahern asked consistently during the uh, forum, is you consider yourself a lifelong Democrat. Um, and you continue to say that, but that's not what the record shows. And she even played a clip in which Vallis said uh, particularly that he would was. register as right, a Republican. Exactly. So that really does play a role. 
Now, uh, in terms of the Chicago Teachers Union, also a big backer and money player in this race, getting behind Johnson, who is an organizer, former teacher, the CTU overwhelmingly approving spending $2 million in union dues that are paid by its membership to fund its political action committee. And the supposition is that the majority of that is going to go toward helping Johnson. So, Melody, uh, will that help him or will that hurt him? Another question in the debate, of course, was how can you be separate from the CTU? He says, I'll be my own man. Can he with $2 bucks behind him? I mean, he did say uh, during uh, one of the debates that he would officially uh, not be a part of, of the teachers' union anymore. But then again, uh, other people looking at who's donating, donating into campaigns and seeing all this money come in from the CTU and now other unions as well. Um, people are starting to ask, can you really separate yourself when it comes to money? But then again, there's been questions asked of Alice on the same thing. We know he's been receiving a lot of money from very wealthy and, and connected uh, businessmen and executives. Um, and so it's, it's kind of interesting to see that question be a little bit more forced with Brandon Johnson and where Paul Vallis really hasn't answered that. What about that, Matt? I want you to weigh in here. Is, is it just the money that we're looking at, or is it deeper when you come to these affiliations? Again, Johnson, a paid member uh, or organizer with the CTU, and, and of course, Vallis very clearly trying to get close to business interests. You know, um, I think with, with Brandon Johnson, obviously, he's got a record with CTU, so that's going to come up. And especially when you see the CTU's influence in some of the automatic races as well. Um, he's been a strong worker for the CTU, but he'll make the argument that the issues that he's been uh, active on are the, the right issues for working class people in Chicago. But he stated over and over again, like you said, he'll be able to make the separation. And, of course, we're wanting to be follow what comes forward going in these future debates. Alice, those are things I know that you're going to be covering. Anything specific that you are looking to hear from these candidates that they sort of wavered on answering so far and you're saying, hey, I, I need an answer? Yeah, um, I think um, it's, if Brandon Johnson continues his strategy of trying to be on the offensive, it will be interesting to see if one day like it will get under Paul Vallis' skin too much and he will um, fight back and whether... And it, how he will approach his rebuttals. Um, and obviously the same issues of the Chicago Police Department, of, uh, of the future of the city's finances and education, um, particularly education, because these two candidates, um, very big figures in the education field, we talked about CTU, but Paul Vallis uh, ran CPS um, for a while and ran three other school districts and very, um, very different side of the issues with education, so. Certainly so. Now, speaking of the current mayor, however, Lightfoot is being blamed for a scheduling disaster, and older people are putting the brakes on moving the taste of Chicago to Navy Pier, and that's because, oh wait, something else is going to be taking place at Grant Park, and that is this first ever NASCAR race rolling through downtown. Melody, you covered this. Um, older people say that the next mayor should decide what happens, but does that just throw the, the summer in disarray in terms of when, let alone where, the taste is going to be? 
Right. We know that there are specific events that will be taking place in Grant Park. We have the Sueños uh, Music Festival, we have NASCAR, we have Lollapalooza. Um, the question is, where does Taste of Chicago fit into all of that? Because when you consider the setup and the teardown of all these events, they are pretty much back-to-back, -back and the t there's just simply no room for the Taste of Chicago. So the question is, do they move it to maybe August? Do they move it to possibly a different park? Obviously, uh, the Committee on Special Events was trying to do that. It's been put on hold. But again, they tried to do it the same weekend as NASCAR. And Alderman Brendan Riley said, uh, no way. So the, it, Both uh, police power and planning power. I mean, so much goes into all of these events. Sandra, what does that mean for tourism? I presume that there are families who make this an annual tradition to spend 100%. the 4th of July going to the Taste. Could it move to, say, later in the summer or fall? Well, that's the thing, is that they're trying to put all these events together to attract more tourists, right? So their idea is, let's bring more people in, but at the same time, how do you plan accordingly? Let's not forget, too, these restaurants, these vendors, it takes time for them to put this together as well. And a lot of them have struggled through the pandemic. They rely a lot of times on the taste of Chicago to get exposure, to be out there. So for them, this is a hit as well. Can we do a mashup? A taste of NASCAR? <laughs> I don't know if I will. Motor oil. Can you, can you drive 150 miles per hour and eat at the same time? There, there's a skill. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody trying. I, I suppose maybe on a video game. <laughs> um, and then, it, it, I mean, but it's not just these festivals, of course, although the city, I believe, has said that, yes, there is going to be a blues fest, but again, where yes. and when, we don't know. Well, I think it's, it's important to, uh, that a lot of those events that people were asking about take place in Millennium Park, and planning for Millennium Park is different than Grant Park. And so when we were specific about asking the information for the setup and teardown for events, we did specifically ask for Grant Park, knowing that Millennium Park scheduling, completely different. Yes, there's going to be a Blues Fest. Yes, there's going to be um, some different things taking, uh, taking place at the pavilion, but not necessarily running into Grant Park. So, Ellis, what does this all mean for Mayor Lightfoot is exiting? Does she need to clean this up, or is this going to be left in the hands of whoever, whether it is Paul Vallis or Brandon Johnson, becomes Chicago's next mayor? Yeah, um, I mean, with the NASCAR event, obviously that's been in the works for many months. Um, I think the contract's already kind of settled, so I'm not sure it's what coming. they can do vroom, vroom. at this point. Um, I think the larger issue is this years-long debate over the privatization of public parkland. Um, I've first became familiar of how heated that issue is in Chicago when I covered the Obama Presidential Center, and we can talk all night about that. But um, there is like a, a growing sense that these public spaces that should be available for all Chicagoans um, slowly getting kind of eaten up by private entities. Well, and also the, the amount of communication with the mayor, because that's a, another element of this, right? That NASCAR was done without a whole lot of city council input and also the scheduling change, right, Melody? Right, and then there's the other aspect of there are other community groups that are involved with the park, like the Grant Park Advisory Council. I've been speaking extensively with them about what kind of information have you gotten from NASCAR about the logistics of everything, because there's a large concern. How will that affect the museums? Um, Fourth of July weekend is typically one of the busiest times for them with all the roads closed. How will people get to them? Will they have to close during Ju July 4th weekend? Grand Park Advisory Council has told me that uh, NASCAR has not visited them yet. They plan to. They say that's supposed to be happening in April, but they are really looking for some answers here. July, as it snows and is miserable outside, <laughs> we are all thinking July is not all that far away. Now, um, I, I want to spend a brief bit of time on something that... Um, 
is going on in Springfield and a whole lot of bills going through because of a legislative deadline, committee deadline in the General Assembly. One would pave the way for a new Illinois state flag. Now, we all know Chicago's got this iconic flag. Is it time for a new Illinois flag? We have a flag, a state flag. <laughs> so you don't know what it looks like, huh? All right. So uh, what does it look like, right? Can anybody in? Can any, does anybody know? I know what it looks like, but right. I'm. For me, it's what's what's the purpose? What is the reason for it? I mean, we're seeing it right now. What, there it is. What's the reasoning the behind seal. it? I'm trying to learn because you were talking about this earlier. So what is the reasoning behind it? <laughs> I, I think part of it is just nobody knows. That is our state seal, everybody. It has been made fun of with some folks comparing the eagle to looking very sick. Uh, <laughs> um, I, so I, I don't know. Cook County did recently just get a new flag as well. There was a whole contest, and I believe this would do that. Um, Alice, are you able to speak to some, another bill of a more perhaps um, profound nature would be something that affected the final days of the Lightfoot campaign. This is when she came under fire from Comptroller Susana Mendoza for uh, pension benefits that were not granted to her, Mendoza's brother, um, who had been a firefighter. And then we also have full pension benefits for first um, responders such as him who are fighting long COVID. Um, is this this state bill is that going to make a big difference and how much of did that play into Lightfoot's defeat? Um, yeah, um, so I'm not super familiar with the finer details, but yeah, I would say um, definitely uh, an important topic for first responders. And I think um, general just plays into the ongoing theme of tension between uh, the mayor and the uh, member, the rank and file of the police department, um, and uh, just different um, viewpoints on how she's approached COVID. Especially. The timing of the press conference, though, uh, was intended, I, I think, to have an impact Mendoza on the Mendoza says, no, this wasn't political, but you don't buy it. It's got to be, right? I mean, to have it, what was it, like a week before the election? Not even. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think she knew it was getting denied before. Yeah. It was, like, right. so that, finalized then. All right, all right. Um, now, Matt, no, let's go to you because we've got some big news in sports. Bears. Yeah, they had the first pick. Right. Gave it up? Was this a good move, and what did they get for that? Yeah, you know, people have been speculating that the Bears were going to trade it and then get a bundle of picks. And not only did they do that, but they got a player as well that they needed, DJ Moore, wide receiver. So they made the trade with the Carolina Panthers. So the Bears will get the ninth pick that the Panthers have. The Panthers will get the number one pick, and they'll pick a quarterback. The Bears will still get the, ni they'll get the ninth pick and pick up a receiver and a bundle of other draft picks, not only in this year, but for the next two years. So good deal. It's just a matter of who's going to be So it is a good available. deal. Sticking with QB, Justin Fields, and Absolutely. then all the rest of these picks, who, what do they need to do with it? Offensive line, defensive line was what they were looking at. And so at nine, they're going to be looking at who's the best player on the board. Offensive line and defensive line is what they're going to need to help this team so out. So they gave it all up. Yeah. You're also watching, I'm sure, the, the Big Ten tournament. I don't yes. know, Go Illini is what <laughs> I would say to that, although, ouch, last yeah. night. Uh, what do we need to know about the Big Ten tournament, and what does this bode for March Madness as it comes up? Yeah, you know what? Um, how many Big Ten teams are going to make the tournament, right? How many March Madness teams? And that people are asking about that. Uh, Any predictions there, that you, uh, teams you, that you think are going to get cut out? Well, you know, uh, it depends now. A couple of teams might be on the bubble. Ohio State looks like they're playing good right now at the right time for the tournament uh, so they're going to get a good look but a couple of teams that lost uh, in the first round might be on the bubble but the good news is uh, when you look at this tournament coming to Chicago is good for the United Center even though the strike is on and that's a why is this good for the United States yeah what, what, tell me about 
there, there is a strike right now. Yeah. Melody, I, how, yeah. timing of that, especially as, of course, Chicago competing for the Democratic National Convention. What, what, what impact does the strike have? Is you're having a Big Ten tournament and people can get, I, I don't know, hot dogs, but not, all, not a drumstick? I don't know. <laughs> Well, I've definitely seen on, on social media people saying that there are various portions of the United Center where you can't get concessions from, either that be some of the more specialized things because of everything that's been going on. I know that you probably have some more insight on that. Steak medallions were off the menu. Oh. <laughs> Hot dogs for everyone. They have steak medallions? <laughs> well, in the sweets they do. <laughs> but Levy Who knew? did say that this was not going to impact their operations and how it's going to go on. I'm really curious to see. How does it not? I mean, because that steak medallion I'm guessing that it's about, sorry to the, the Levi Russell, this has nothing to do with them, but just concessions in general. It's got to be a little baby steak, I'm guessing, that probably costs well, you know, 50 when you, bucks. When you're entertaining a clients in the suites, Ray, you bear no expense. You're trying to make deals and impress people. But you know, I, overall, I just think the Big Ten term is good for Chicago, good for the hotels, right? Good for the tax revenue uh, that we see. But I think your point about, uh, uh, or Melly's point about the convention is really key. But Atlanta's having their own problems down there as well. And also, I want to look ahead some to next week. We've just got about 30 seconds left, but a lot is coming up. You have the ComEd 4 going to trial, and then also the state Supreme Court going to be hearing the case against Illinois' assault weapons ban. Sandra, anything that you're looking for in terms of what this means for Illinois' massive new gun law? Well, certainly everybody's looking at this closely, especially with the elections coming up. It's a big talker, um, but it's just something that, yeah, it's, Everyone's talking about it. I just don't know what else to say. And yeah, hands of, hands of the state Supreme Court and, of course, in Democratic yeah. hands. But we, we don't know what that means or what it will bode, and especially eyeing the federal court action exactly. as well. So we're going to leave it at that for now. Our thanks to Sandra Torres, Melody Mercado, Alice Yen, and Matt McGill. That is our show for this Friday night. Don't forget, you can get Chicago Tonight and The Week in Review streamed on Facebook, YouTube, also on our website. That's WTTW.com news. Lots of amazing content there. Join guest host Phil Ponce. He is back tonight at 10 for Chicago Tonight. A new report shows black and Latino drivers are much more likely to get pulled over by police than white drivers. And an all-affordable condo building gets ready for its debut in the West Old Town area. And now for the Week in Review, I'm Amanda Vinicky. Thank you for watching. Stay healthy and safe. Summer is eventually on the way. Have a good night. All right, everybody. Uh, so speaking of fun festivals, annual tradition, we've got the Chicago Dying the River Green, the big old yeah, parade. Yes. Anybody planning to go tomorrow? <laughs> can you cover the area? Yes. They're like, no, it's, stay away from it as much as I can. It's the one weekend locals leave Chicago, yes. probably. Yes, that's true. You're right, because people come in from out of, out of the city, and they, they will be staying. Closed captioning is made possible by Robert A. Clifford and Clifford Law Offices, a Chicago personal injury and wrongful death firm that's proud to serve its community through pro bono legal services.